0: in this message we discover the five marks of a disciple jesus said we would express so in part one i'm just going to reveal now in part one of this series on a disciple of Jesus Christ, we emphasize that the Lord Jesus has called us not just to believe in him, but he's called us to be his disciples. You see, so we're not talking about saying, you know, I'm just, I'm a Christian by name or I uh, yeah, I believe in, in, in what the Christian faith teaches. Jesus didn't call us just to be believers. He called us to be disciples. And we explained in part one of the series what Jesus meant when he said, uh, he is calling us to be a disciple. He said, a disciple is not greater than his master. It is enough for a disciple that it be like his master. So a disciple is somebody who's on this journey of being transformed into becoming like his master. So you and I have committed ourselves to this process, this training uh, that we will be changed. We will be transformed into becoming like Jesus Christ, becoming like him uh, and as we follow him and we embrace what he teaches us. So disciples are really imitators of their teacher. We said that and we are followers of our teacher. We are committed to becoming like him. And as disciples, we are committed to knowing his heart, knowing his mind. We are living for his purposes. And we are living life the Jesus way. We are living life his way. The way he told us to live. And uh, we we also said in the first part of this message. That this is actually the father's plan. God planned this from the very beginning. That He would we would be conformed to the image of his son Jesus Christ. And we kind of outlined. Gave an overview of all the things that Jesus said about a disciple. We did that in the first part of this uh, message in the series. In part two. We talked about the training process. How the Lord Jesus said we would be trained in order uh, to become like him. What Jesus said is this. Everyone who's perfectly trained will be like his master. So we have to be perfectly trained. We have to go through that training process. And we outlined the training process that Jesus spoke about uh, concerning his disciples with these five statements we made. We said first, there is a training in his presence. We need to be with Jesus. Number two, there's a training of His Word. We have to live by His Word. Number three, there is a training of His Spirit. We have to yield to the Holy Spirit. Number four, there's a training through fellowship. We fellowship with and serve other disciples. And number five, there's a training of the cross. We have to carry our cross daily. As we follow Jesus. So we outline that this is how he trains us. And as we yield ourselves to the training process. We will become more and more like Jesus Christ. as, As we journey in this process. Today in part three. The concluding part of this message. A disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to talk about the fruits of a disciple. That is the life of a disciple. So as we are going through this process of being trained uh, as disciples, of becoming more and more like Jesus, what did Jesus say we will manifest or we will reveal or we will demonstrate or we will express in our lives? Uh, As his disciples, what is the fruit of this? What is the outcome of being a disciple? You know, being a disciple is not just a name tag that you wear, that you wear and you carry around saying, "I am a disciple of Jesus." It's not about a name tag. It's not about having a Christian name. It's not about you know just being a regular at church and you know or belonging, belonging to some particular denomination. That's not it. That's not. That's actually not even the involved in this thing of being a disciple, Jesus mentioned certain marks, certain characteristics, certain traits, of if you will, of a person who was his disciple. And I want to highlight that today. You know, uh, when we talk about this, Uh, This itself can be uh, uh, you know, a many series of messages, but I want to make it very concise, condense it into one sermon on the fruits, the life of a disciple. Uh, We will outline what Jesus said in these five statements, and then I will expand a little bit on each one of these five statements. First of all, Jesus mentioned, he mentioned these five expressions, the outcomes of the life of a disciple. Number one, he said, a disciple walks in love. Number two, a disciple bears increasing fruit. Number three, a disciple does the works of the master. Number four, a disciple makes more disciples. And number five, a disciple lives and dies for the master. These are five. Characteristics, character traits, character traits or expressions, outcomes that Jesus said will take place in the life of somebody who is his disciple. And I want to just highlight each one of these. I may not be able to cover each one of these in great detail. You can take the sermon notes off of our church website and study this further uh, in detail. But let's just talk about each one of these uh, briefly. Number one, the first character trait or expression, outcome, or fruit. In the life of a disciple is this, a disciple walks in love. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Jesus raised the standard. He set the standard. He said, I want you to love each other the way I have loved you. That's the standard. He says, look at my example. You know, and that, in that context there in John 13, Jesus actually washed the feet of his disciples. And later on, he went and he died on the cross for all of, us, all, of us, all of us. And he said, look, that's the standard I have set. And I want you to love each other the way I have loved you. And then Jesus said, through this. Everyone will know you are my disciples. I mean, this is the mark. This is the trait. uh, This is the identification of somebody who's my disciple. What is it? It is he walks in love. He will love other people. And this has a twofold connotation or twofold expression. Of course, first is A personal expression that you as a disciple of Jesus are committed to walking in love of loving other people the way Jesus loved them. Now, of course, this is not easy. As human beings, you know, we have our natural tendencies. We have our, you know, our likes and dislikes, our preferences, our prejudices, our biases. Uh, We have all of that that we carry, but yet, Because we are yielding ourselves to the training process, because we are loving the Lord to work in us by his presence, by his word, by his spirit, and through so many other ways, we are being changed. So even though we have our own personal preferences and prejudices and all of those things, we are being changed. By his training process, by the work of his spirit, by the work of his word and to the fellowship we have, we are being changed. We are being made into people who will be able to walk in love. And of course, that means that certain things in our own lives that are being Change, being transformed Where things are being broken down Our own prejudices and our, our, our wrong ideas Are being broken down And God is bringing us into that place where We're able to walk in love But this also has a second connotation That means we as a community Are able to express love for one another Jesus, as you love each other People are able to see that They're able to see uh us disciples being a community of people who really love, who, who love another the same way Christ loved us. And he says that is going to be the hallmark. That is going to be the trait of a community of people uh, who are his disciples. And that's how the world will know these are disciples of Jesus Christ and that brings the reality of God into their lives. You know, in talking about love, the Bible, of course, has a lot to teach us concerning love, but I want to just read this very well-known passage, 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 8. I want to just read that for us from the Passion Translation, a modern translation. And uh, it just brings this out for us. And what is the love of God? What does it mean to walk in love? In just practical ways. So we will just read that and then we will move forward. First uh, Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 8 from the Passion Translation reads this. It says, Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements, nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as a defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. So, if you want to put it in simple terms, this is it. He says, walk in love, walk like this towards other people, and people will know that you are my disciple. Now think about this at home. If parents love their children in such a manner, parents, children will be able to see, this is my parents. I really disciples of Jesus in the workplace or in, the, in our schools, or our colleges, our young people, working professionals. Uh, you know, when we walk in love and all of these areas, people will see that's a disciple. That's a person who really follows Jesus Christ. And as a church community, people should see this in us and say, you know, in that community, I see the love of God being demonstrated. And that's what makes us disciples of Jesus. The second uh, character trait or or fruits or outcome of being a disciple of Jesus, uh, we find in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John, verses 1 through 17. Now, this is a very long passage. I'm not going to read that passage, but many of us are familiar with this. In John 15, verses 1 through 17, Jesus talks about the relationship that he has with his disciples. He says, I am the wine you are the branches. So he's he's using this analogy, this picture of a wine with its branches and the branches of the wine bearing fruit. And he says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear fruit. You will bear much fruit. I, I want to bring our attention to verse 8 because we're going to focus on this whole passage on chapter 15, verses 1 through 17 from the perspective of a disciple. What did Jesus say about the life of a disciple In view of this analogy that he gave us of a wine, the branch, and bearing fruit. And the things that he said in this whole passage, John 15 verses 1 through 17. I want to highlight things here. Notice in verse 8, in John 15 and verse 8, Jesus said this. He said, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Uh, I'll just read the same verse for us in uh, some other translations. The Passion Translation puts it like this. It says, when your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. So when your life bears a lot of fruit, You're demonstrating that you are my disciple and also the Father is glorified. The Amplified Bible Classic Version says this, When you bear, produce much fruit, my Father is honored and glorified, and you show and prove yourselves to be true followers of mine. So what Jesus is saying is this, you know, as branches on the wine, when we bear abundant fruit when we bear much fruit that's an expression of us being his disciples it's not enough just to say i'm a branch on the vine we've got to go beyond that he says a disciple is somebody who will bear much fruit and that, that's who a real disciple is, a true follower of Jesus Christ is. And by us very much truth, he says, the Father will be glorified, the Father will be honored. Now, so this is the second trait Jesus, said, as a disciple, you will bear much fruit. So what does it mean? What kind of fruit was he talking about? What is this fruit in the context of John 15 verses 1 through 17? What is the fruit that Jesus was talking about uh, that you and I should be aware of? I want to bring our attention to these three statements. Uh, I will summarize what Jesus said in John 15, uh, 1 through 17 with these three statements. What is the fruit? Number one, the fruit is Christ's character expressed number two the fruit is Christ's desires fulfilled and number three fruit is Christ's assignment accomplished what is the fruit we're supposed to bear we are going we are bearing Christ's character expressing his character through our lives we are seeing Christ's desires fulfilled through our lives and three we see Christ's assignment accomplished through our lives this is the fruit that we are supposed to bear. Let me explain this from this passage uh very quickly. First, he's, uh, first, I said this fruit is Christ's character expressed to us. Why do I say that? Because when Jesus used the analogy, he is the wine, and we are the branches, and the branches bear the fruit of the wine, the fruit, the the fruit the branches bear express the life of the wine flowing through them. You know, the wine obviously bears grapefruit. Why? Because that's the life that's flowing through it. An apple tree bears apple fruit. Why? Because that's the life of of the apple tree flowing through it. So the the branches bear fruit of of the fruit of the life that's flowing in them. So the life of Christ in us, it causes that fruit. To be expressed, which is the very character of Christ being expressed through us. Let me make this statement, and I'm basing this on Galatians 4:19. Uh, when Christ is formed in you, Christ will be revealed through you. Let's say that together. When Christ is formed in me, Christ will be revealed through me. Because that's the life that's flowing in you. And as that life is flowing in you, as a disciple, Christ will be revealed through you. So that's the first uh, aspect of the fruit that we bear. And you know, and Paul brings this out in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We know that. He talks about love and the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and kindness and meekness and temperance and faith. Uh, these are expressions of that life of the Spirit within us. The Holy Spirit working in us. There causes these expressions to come through us. So the fruit the branches bear are not, only expr- are not only an expression of the life of the vine flowing in them, but they're also an expression of reproduction because the seed is in the fruit. So when we talk about the fruit, remember there also has to be the expression of reproduction. We'll come back to that in a later point. The second aspect of fruit that Jesus mentions here in John 15, is that it's, it, the fruit is Christ's desires fulfilled. Two times in this passage, first in verse 7 and then in verse 16, Jesus talks about prayer. Prayer is us asking the Father. He says, you know, if you abide in me, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask what you desire and it will be done for you. Now, this is like Jesus giving us a blank check. He's saying, Ask whatever you desire, and it will be done for you. And again in verse 16, he says, Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. How could Jesus make such a statement? How could he present us with a blank check? Well, there is something that goes into this whole thing of asking what we desire or asking the Father whatever. What what goes into this? Uh, uh, In John 15 verses 14 and 15, Jesus explains this. He says, you are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So he's saying, look. You come into this relationship of being a friend with me. You abide in me. My words abide in you. You become my friend. You're not just a servant. You see, a servant obeys because an instruction was given, a command was given, and so the servant obeys. But a friend does what pleases his friend because he knows his friend's heart, and that's the kind of place Jesus wants us to come into. He says... I'm telling you the secrets of my heart. I'm imparting the desires of my heart. I'm imparting it to your heart. And now that's why I have this confidence to tell you, you ask what you desire. You ask whatever you want. My Father will give it to you. So that is what this prayer life is all about. The prayer life is not just a means to gratify my personal selfish desires. The prayer life that Jesus is calling us into is a a place where we are so filled with the desires of his heart that whatever we ask are really the desires of his heart and he says you can ask what you desire you're my friend I've told you what I desire and and you're going to ask what I desire it'll be done for you so that's the second fruit we're talking about it's a fulfillment of Christ's, Christ's desires through our life through our prayer lives. So on the earth, as we're journeying, our hearts get filled with the desires that Jesus has, and we begin to pray for that, we begin to pursue that, we begin to ask for that, and those things be, begin to be fulfilled in and through us. Christ's desires are fulfilled through you, through me. That's the second fruit we bear. The third fruit that we see here is in John 15, verse 16. It's the fruit of Christ's assignment accomplished through each one of us. In John 15, verse 16, Jesus says, you didn't choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit so this fruit that we have that we are bearing has it Connection to the fact that he has chosen us and he has appointed us. The word choose simply means to select, to pick out. So God has picked each one of us out for a specific purpose. We call that our assignment. So he says, I've chosen you and I've ordained you. That word ordained simply means to put in or to set in place for a specific purpose, for a specific service. You find this word Uh, Used in the New Testament in several places in relation to ministry, in relation to assignment. For instance, in Acts 20, verse 28, Paul says to the elders, You know, God has placed you as overseers uh, over his sheep. In 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul says, Jesus has put me into the ministry, having found me faithful. Uh, talking about his own ministry in 1 Timothy 2.7 and Second Timothy 1.11, Paul says, Jesus has appointed me as a preacher, a teacher, and an apostle to the Gentiles. So this word appoint really has to do with the life assignment. So this is a third fruit you and I are supposed to bear. He said, I have appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. The fruit that you are supposed to bear has to do with the appointment that God has for your life, but the assignment that God has for you. The assignment that God has for you is different from what he has on my life and on somebody else's life. But each one of us, as his disciples, are bearing increasing fruit In the assignment he has put upon our lives. So this is what Jesus meant when he said fruit. You bear increasing fruit. And that is a sign that you are my disciple. So to sum it up. The fruit that we are bearing is an expression of his character. The fruit we are bearing is a fulfillment of his desires through us. And thirdly the fruit we are bearing is the accomplishing of his assignment through our lives. That's the second hallmark of a disciple of Christ. So now we come to the third character trait or outcome or expression of a disciple of Jesus Christ, the fruit that we show or demonstrate in our lives. The third one is this, a disciple does the works of the master. You know, we mentioned uh, in our second message in this series that when Jesus called his disciples, the first thing he wanted them to do is to, for them to be with him. We read about this in Mark chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. I'll read that again for us in Mark 3, 14 and 15. It says, then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. So this is something very important in the life of a disciple. Jesus called them to be with him and then he said, I'm going to send you up. um, You're going to do the same works that I am doing. Now, what I want to challenge you with me is this, that that commission which he gave to the original 12 is also the same commission uh, he's extended to you and me today. Now, some people may not agree with that, but let me explain. Let's look at it very Uh, in a very objective manner. Look at it throughout scripture. You see, when Jesus called the twelve, and we read about this even in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1, 7, and 8. When he called them, he called his disciples together, he gave them power uh, to... Uh, Cast out demons and to heal All manner of sickness and disease And then verse 7 and 8 says He sent them out, he said, you know, go preach The kingdom of God is here, heal the sick Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead Cast out demons Freely you have received, freely give And then in that same chapter 10 He talks about the life of a disciple Many, many aspects and some of which we've also Addressed. If the latter part of Verse 10 applies to us today Then the early part of 10 also Applies to us today. We cannot segregate that chapter and say, you know, these things only apply to the apostles and these things don't apply to us. Now, the other thing I want to say is this. After Jesus had the 12 apostles, we see in Luke 10 that he called another 70, 70 more, and he gave them the same commission. He tells them to go heal the sick and do the works that he would do. So this commission of doing his works was not given just to the 12 disciples, but it was given to the 70 others. And then finally, the Matthew 28. When he gave the Great Commission in verses 18 through 20, when he told his disciples, he said, you go to the whole world, you make disciples of all the nations. And then he told them, you teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you, which includes this instruction, this commission to do his works. You know, and this is so important. So I believe just by looking at this, this, this train of progressive, expansion of commission from the 12 to the 70, to all the disciples, that there is a commission for you and me as a disciple of Jesus Christ, to do the works he did. That's why today we also pray for the sick. We believe in the work of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the expressions of the gifts of the Spirit, our words of knowledge, words of wisdom, our gifts of healings, workings of miracles, prophecies and tongues and interpretation of tongues and all the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in that today because it's through those tools that we're able to do the works Jesus did and uh, even greater works as he mentioned in John 14 verse 12 he said those who believe in me the works I do they will also do and even greater works because I go to the Father has Jesus gone to the Father is he with the Father right now the answer is yes and therefore we as his believers as his disciples how to do the works of the Father. So I want to challenge you as a disciple of Jesus Christ that you and I must desire to do his works. He commissioned us and it's right for us to expect the supernatural, the miraculous, the healings, the deliverances to take place through our lives. So that's the third trait of a disciple. A disciple works, does the works of the master. Number four, and I'm getting ready to finish. We need to wrap this up. Number four, the fourth trait of a disciple is this. A disciple makes more disciples and we mentioned this earlier that the life of the wine is not only expressed in, in the fruit in the fruit it's expressed to the fruit not only by the expression of the life of the wine but it's also an expression of the reproduction of of the wine because the fruit carries the seed. So a disciple makes more disciples. And this is the commission Jesus gave in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, he said, go and make disciples of all the nations. So as his disciples, we are out there to make more disciples. and they say make more disciples, that means we are engaged in this process of communicating Jesus to others mm-hmm. and through our life and through what we say and what we do, we impact others so they too can make a decision to become followers of Jesus Christ. You know, this is part of the training process, as we mentioned earlier, that through us, we, we disciple others through our life. We disciple one another and we help each other become disciples of Jesus Christ and grow in becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. I want to bring our attention to some of the things the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Paul said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now, that's how we make disciples. We let our life speak, let people see in our life what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Or to the Philippians, he said, the things, Philippians 4, 9, the things which you learn and receive, heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Imagine what a, what, what a standard, the way he would have lived his life because he could tell the Philippians, he said, no, what you've seen in me, I want you to do that. Just follow my example. Uh, to Timothy, uh, his uh, his son in the faith, Paul writes in Second Timothy chapter three verse 10 and eleven. He says, "Timothy, you have carefully followed or carefully observed my doctrine. That's my teaching. My manner of life. That means the way I live my life." My purpose—that is the reason why I live life for what I pursued in life. My faith, my long suffering, my love, my perseverance, my persecutions, my afflictions—all that happened to me. Says so Timothy, "You've seen all this, and that's what I want you to follow, and that's what it means as a disciple that we make more disciples. That our life, our life influences others, and they want to say." I want to follow you and I want to follow Jesus, the Jesus that you're following, I also want to follow. Uh, and, you know, this we're talking about a hands to heart to head approach. That means, you know, we let people come and see, let people come alongside us. They do things with us and as they do things with us, their heart begins to understand why we do it, or what, what motivates us. Their heart begins to follow that and slowly their head begins to catch up with it. They understand the why. It's a hand to heart to head approach and how we begin to influence people. And number five, the last one is this, a disciple lives and dies for the master. In many of Jesus' statements, which we have referenced and uh, that we find in the gospels, Jesus told us this. He said, you know, it, it, you will be hated by all men. Matthew 10, for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. He said, you know, the world is not gonna treat you nicely because you're my disciple. The world is going to be against you. They're not going to understand what you say, what you do, the values you live for, why you live like this. You'll be hated by all men for my name's sake, but you've got to endure to the end. Jesus didn't say it'll be easy to be his disciple. He said people will hate you. And even to the point where some of us may have to martyr, be martyred. We have to give up our lives. But a disciple is somebody who lives and dies for the master. I want you to pay attention to this. Not all of us will die as martyrs, but all of us can lay down our lives for the cause of Christ. Not all of us are going to die as martyrs for Jesus, but all of us can lay down our lives for the cause of Christ. What is it that Jesus is calling you to do? Will you lay down your life for the sake of Christ, for the cause of Christ? I like what Revelation 12 and verse 11 says, talking about these believers during the tribulation it says they overcame the adversary to Satan by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives they did not love their lives to the death that means to the point of death they were willing to lay it down for their testimony in Jesus Christ and that's the way we have to live you're saying God here's my life I lay it all down for you I'm willing to live I'm willing to die For the master, and that's what Jesus said a true disciple would be in a position to do. So to sum it up, five fruit or five expressions or five character traits, five outcomes in the life of a disciple. These are the marks of a disciple. Number one, a disciple walks in love. Number two, a disciple bears increasing fruit. Number three. A disciple does the works of the master. Number four, a disciple makes more disciples. And number five, a disciple lives and dies for the master. As we yield ourselves to the training of the Lord, this is what will take place in our lives. People will be able to see this. This person is a true disciple of Jesus Christ. What about you? Are you following Jesus just for some benefits? Or is it because of social pressure? Or is it because of parental pressure? Or are you following Jesus because you want to be His disciple, and this is what you're willing to have Him do in you and through you? I want. I want us to pray, and as we pray, I want to invite you to say yes, yes to this, yes to this call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and. Uh, I want to pray for that first. I pray for all of us to pray together. And then after that, I want to pray for God to meet your needs. Wherever you are, I understand that there will be people with various needs. And we believe in God who hears and answers prayer. And as Jesus promised, he said, you ask whatever you desire, it will be done for you. Because if you abide in me, my words abide in you. That's what I'm offering to you. So I'm going to pray from here. And I believe that the Lord Jesus will touch you. He will heal. He will deliver. He will change things around. I want you to believe God with me. So first, we're going to pray for this call that Jesus gave us to be his disciple. Will you say yes to it? And will you say, Lord, these character traits that you highlighted in your word about a disciple, I want to see them happening in my life. I want to walk it. I want to walk as Jesus walked. I want to open up my life to these five things. I'm going to lead us in a prayer towards that. And then after that, I'm going to pray for the needs of the people. And let's believe God together that the Lord Jesus will minister to our needs. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what we heard today. And these five character traits that we learned about God, I pray that you work it in each of our lives. We say A yes and an amen to these things. That a disciple will walk in love. Help us, Lord, to walk in love. The love that conquers. The love that dominates. The love that doesn't give up in any situation. Help us to walk in the love as Christ loved us. Number two, Lord, uh, help us to bear increasing fruit in our lives. The fruit of the character of Christ. The fruit of the desires of Christ fulfilled through us. And the fruit of Christ's assignment accomplished through us and Lord help us to do the works that Jesus did help us to go out there and demonstrate your glory, demonstrate your power to heal the sick, to cast out devils, to do the supernatural God, to do the works of our master number four, help us Lord to make more disciples that our lives will so impact, so influence that people will say I want to imitate you, whatever I see in you I want to do that because I want to follow the Jesus you're following, do that in us and Lord we pray that you bring us to a place where we will be always yielded to you; that we will be ready to live and die; that we will be able to live, that we will lay down everything we have for the cause of Christ. Help us to be true disciples of Jesus Christ, Father. I also pray right now for those who are watching, people with various needs. Father, even as I pray right now, I ask the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit flow like a mighty river, Lord, through the wherever people are watching, God, through whatever means they're watching, that the river of their spirit will touch them, setting them free, delivering them, healing them Uh, right now. If you're sick and hurting in your body, just lay your hand on the part of your body you want Jesus to heal. And as I pray from here, that God touch you and heal you. In the name of Jesus, I command sicknesses to leave. I command every yoke of the enemy broken, of your body of your mind, be healed, be delivered in the name of Jesus Christ, receive your healing and also speak and declare God's provision into your life, God's divine intervention in your life, those of you who need jobs at this time, oh God, divinely intervene in their lives and bring that to them, God, meet every need that is is addressed, being lifted up to you right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, why don't you just write us a testimony. Tell us what happened during the course of the sermon. uh, uh, How your life has been enriched. uh, How, uh, you know, maybe God worked a miracle in your life as we prayed together. Share that with us so we can share it with others uh, through our online services. And we will celebrate together with you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Now, as I mentioned in the very beginning, uh, that at the end of this program, I'm going to address a couple of questions that people have sent in, in regard to the coronavirus and COVID-19 and all that's happening globally. I'll try to be as brief and succinct in my responses. I will deal with two questions uh, that have come uh, our way. The first question, uh, uh, somebody uh, has sent this Um, and they quote a message that's been circulating I think on WhatsApp and other uh, uh, social media Uh, this is the message that's been circulating it says, the message says how great is our God government arranged lockdown from the 26th of March 2020 and the Bible Isaiah, Bible verse Isaiah 2620 says go home my people and lock your doors hide yourself for a little while until the Lord's anger has passed Uh, isn't that amazing and further to this the Lord commanded a lockdown during Passover in Egypt and the age of death passed over. The Israelites were protected by the blood of the Lamb. Thursday, the 16th of April is when Passover ends. As you all know, that's when our lockdown is lifted. 21 days is the 16th. God's timing, incredible. Wow. And we're all protected, guys. So we might think it's not hard to stay home, but it's from God. So the question this person asks is: Is, is this applicable to current times? Uh, where has this virus come from? Uh, is God angry? So really, uh, the, the, the essential question many people are asking is: You know, is coronavirus God's judgment on the earth? Uh, is it? You know, can it be compared? To what happened, uh, you know, uh, in, the, in the time of just prior to the exodus of the the Hebrew people from Egypt. Uh, and uh, is this, you know, the quoting Isaiah 2620, uh, is it right? Is it right to do something like that? You know, uh, uh, let me just share a few thoughts. First of all, uh, and, and I've shared this in detail in our book, uh, Ministry Healing and Deliverance Chapter 2 the pages 54 to 61. Uh, you can pick up a copy of it or download a copy of it and read it. Uh, I believe that what we are seeing today, first of all, is a result of our own doing. I don't believe it's the judgment of God. I'll tell you why a little later. But this probably is a result of our own doing. We are responsible um, and uh, Psalm 115 verse 16 says the earth has been given to the sons of men We are responsible for what's happening happening on our planet And part of it is in how we interact with uh, all of nature Around us and if we misuse and, and, and don't deal with things Handle things properly we will face the consequences uh, You know there is also the natural process of decay that Paul writes about in Romans 8 Verses 1923 and we seen the effect of it and of course the ultimate source of sin and sickness is Satan himself. And so as we resist this disease, we are not resisting the judgment of God, we are resisting what is not of God. Uh, And so first of all, I see that this is the result of our own doing. Secondly, also this is a sign of the end times. Jesus foretold that this would be one of the signs. In Luke 21 verse 11, Jesus said there will be great earthquakes in various places famines and pestilences, uh, and there'll be fearful sights and great signs from heaven and, uh, He talked about pestilences. He talked about plagues as one of the signs of the end times. And I believe this is one of the signs of the end times. And if you look at, uh, you know, uh, the data that's available, uh, what is happening right now is unprecedented. It has never happened in such a scale uh, prior to this. So there's a sudden increase of of pestilences. We've had a slow increase, but this is a dramatic increase. And I believe it's really a sign of of the end times and you know uh, uh, the reason I don't believe this is the judgment of God, is because if you really want to know what the judgment of God looked look like in the end days, you've got to read the book of Revelation. And if you read the book of Revelation, the judgment of God during that great tribulation is, 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 not, is, is much greater than what we are seeing. Or well, let me put it like this. What we are seeing today is nothing compared to what the book of Revelation states will happen during uh, the great tribulation. Now we have a complete series on the end times available. If you're interested in the end times, you can go to our church website, go to apcw.org slash sermons, select the sermon series called the end times and you'll have a complete study on, on the end times. Let me highlight to you some things in Revelation 6. We see that the third seal uh, talks about great famine and scarcity of food. Uh, um, the fourth seal talks about great destruction, the war, famine, famines, disease and plagues. Uh, And uh, the sixth seal talks about great disasters and earthquakes. Uh, Now, uh, the the magnitude of this destruction, think about this in in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 7, when the first trumpet sounds, there's going to be judgment, there's going to be fire and hail, and uh, one third of earth's vegetation will be destroyed. A third of earth's vegetation. So we are not seeing anything as near to that. In Revelation 8.8, 8, one third of the sea will become like blood and a third of the sea creatures uh, will be destroyed. Uh, in Revelation 8.10, uh, a third of all water bodies will become bitter. Uh, in Revelation 8.12, um, a third of the light from the sun, a third of the light uh, of the night, light, uh, of the night, um, uh, you know, will, will be cut off and uh, uh, in Revelation 9, 1 to 11, at the sound of the fifth trumpet, uh, it talks about uh, humans being troubled for five months. Uh, to the point where they will all want to die. Uh, And a third of the humans being destroyed in Revelation 9, 13 to 19, you know, that's a third of the world's population. So uh, that is the kind of judgment Revelation is talking about during the Great Tribulation. What we are seeing, even though it's significant, it is not as as a large scale as what the real judgment of God will be like. And that's why I believe that what we're seeing today is not really a judgment of God, but is a result of our own doing. Uh, But yes, In the midst of all this, as believers, we have a covenant with God. And yes, God protects us. And we can rest in our covenant in Psalm 91.10 that God protects us and God preserves us. But we don't have to think that this is uh, the same thing as the Exodus, uh, uh, as what happened at the time of the Exodus. Because that was totally different. God is bringing his people out uh, of Egypt. To the promised land that's not what's happening right here and so i think it's not right to take some of these old testament scriptures and throw it in here and say this is what's happening it's not right to do that the second question uh, is this uh, it's a question uh, in, in talking about uh, uh, the authority of the church and also in relation to government authorities. Uh, The question goes like this, due to COVID-19, all government leaders of the world are imposing lockdown. Uh, How come the church services can be held as e-church, online church services, rather than physically assembling in the house of God to worship our living God as his church uh, is the house of prayer for all nations? Uh, in this context, shouldn't the church stand up to face persecution in defying kings of the earth and authority and, uh, and, uh, and uh, come together and defy such schemes of Satan? In other words, this person is writing and saying, look, though the government is saying you shouldn't assemble, uh, the church should assemble and we should defy these uh, uh, instructions and so on. So uh, because, you know, the church means we should gather together physically. That's the question. Now, let me respond to this very briefly and say, that you know we must understand the spiritual nature of our relationship with God uh, as the church and in terms of fellowship. It is primarily spiritual, although although the physical gathering of believers is important, yet Primarily, first of all, is a spiritual relationship that we have with God. We are joined together with God in spirit. We worship God in spirit. Our fellowship also is a spiritual fellowship. We encourage each other spiritually. So as long as that is happening, that objective is not being stopped by the government. The government is not saying don't pray. The government is not saying don't worship. That's not what the government is saying. The government is saying don't come together in big groups because we want to stop the spread of the virus. So they're not hitting at our faith. Uh, It's a uniform thing to people of all religions saying don't gather together in religious services. They're not telling us don't worship. So we need to understand what the government is trying to do. Secondly, uh, we must also understand that we have social and moral responsibility. Social responsibility to other people so that we do our part in stopping the spread of the virus. Moral responsibility towards God and towards the government. And so in standing with the government in the good thing that they are trying to do For the entire nation or the nations around the world. That's our moral responsibility, and we must stand with them. And that's what Romans 13 tells us to do. So, you know, yes, it is true. That uh, the church is supposed to gather together. But the the government's rule is not telling us not to worship. But telling us to worship from where we are. And that's permitted. So that's why we have this online church service to encourage us. And Jesus said where two or three are gathered. So in your home right now. There may be two or maybe four or five people who are gathered. Your own families gathered together. And Jesus is there. That's the church happening right there. Now uh, in certain parts of the world. Uh, especially in the early church in the times of the persecution or we've seen that even in the underground church, people met in twos or threes and that was church happening because at that time it was not conducive for them to gather together in large gatherings. But when times changed and it was permissible for people to gather large, large gatherings, they did so. And we will also do the same thing. Once times change and we're able to gather together, we will do that. But for now, during this temporary phase, we understand that the real nature of our relationship is spiritual. That is not being prohibited by the government. We are free to do that. And we will continue to do that uh, in the ways and the means that we are able. So I think just having a correct understanding of things will help us. Well, I think it's time to close. Thank you for being with us on the service. We'd love to hear from you. Remember... We are here to serve you. Our 800 number is on the screen. You can call us if you need help. Email us at membercare if you need help. Send us your testimony. We'd love to hear from you in response to these things. And until next time, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit continue with us always, wherever we are in Jesus' name. God bless.